From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up for Thursday, April 18th, the year 2019. And she's back. I'm back. She is back. My good friend Catherine, who successfully completed the Boston Marathon on Monday in just over four and a half hours. Catherine, welcome back. Congratulations. It's my pleasure to have you back on. Um, so let's go backwards. You and I talked, you know, we did this podcast a month ago, it feels like, something around there. Um, and you were kind of gearing up and, and trying to get your mind right as the longer runs started to build up in your training plan. Um, how did things go after we last talked? concerned that your body wasn't going to hold up after the training because as you said you were never a runner you had never run a marathon before this was a first time experience for you knock on wood you said you hadn't really had any physical ailments um in the run-up uh how did your um how, how did your body hold up so it held up well, you know what I mean? And it got to a point where probably when I started getting really nervous was two weeks out because you reach a point where, you know, you're training for so long and you're like, okay, well, if I got hurt now, I'd have plenty of time to recover before the marathon, so I'd be fine. Then you reach a point that you say, oh, my gosh, if I got hurt now, I definitely wouldn't be able to make it to the start line. Um, but I was feeling good, you know, aches and pains some places, but that was normal. And I also was trying to tell myself, no, Catherine, that's in your head. Just because you're nervous about it. Like, you're, you're fine. You're fine. Um, but I was kind of ready to go. So um, everybody knows that the best way to prepare for a marathon is to, is to carbo load the night before. Um, what was your night before meal? Okay, so I probably started eating carbs with reckless abandonment starting two weeks before. You know, I was really trying to get those carbs into a point where I just got sick of eating food. You know what I mean? I was like, oh my gosh, I never want to see another sweet potato again. I'm so sick of eating this way. Yeah. Um, which I know I'm going to miss that very soon, eating all those carbs. But um, the night before... Uh, the Dana-Farber team puts on this big pasta dinner, and they had, I'm telling you, Jeremy, it was an incredibly moving program. There were probably, I would say, there were about a 1,000 people there, team members, their families, and they go through, a pro it's a pasta dinner, so everyone carves up, and um, 
they have stories of what the uh, what the money that you're raising, what it goes to in the research, and they have patients who are current, they have children who are patients at Dana Farber get up there and they get their medals for being part of this. Um, they have people who have just had terrible, terrible losses to cancer and their family get up and they say why they're running. And it was a really, really moving program. And so you eat your pasta and then you go home and you try to go to bed because the alarm clock's going off early to get out uh, to take the buses to the start line. Let me stop you there because you uh, the first time you were on, we were talking to my girlfriend, Catherine, who, Catherine, who ran the Boston Marathon on Monday. Um, that this was personal for you, uh, personal for you and for your family. And, you know, a lot of people um, don't want to hear those stories. It just brings bad thoughts to their minds. Some people like hearing those stories. It brings good thoughts and inspirational thoughts to their minds. Um, so for some, it takes them back to dark times. For some, it, it, it can motivate them. Was that what you wanted and needed the night before the marathon? Because obviously having your mother there was going to be an emotional moment no matter how the marathon went. What was the actual night before like when you start hearing all these stories? I mean, it's just a reminder of why we need to raise this money. And, I mean, to, to be completely honest, nobody likes to hear about little kids with cancer. Nobody mm. likes to hear about that. It's an awful thing. Nobody likes to see families who have lost people they love to cancer. But you need to hear those stories to honor those people, and you need to be reminded that, oh my gosh, your feet are going to hurt, your legs are going to hurt, whatever the weather is going to be, you might not feel well, but running a marathon might be hard, but having cancer is harder, and it's a really important thing to do, and these stories need to be told, so I thought it was incredibly motivating, because times during the run when I said, oh my gosh, this is so hard, I don't know that I could do this, you just think of those kids, and you keep going. You put one foot in front of the other, just like all these families had to and all these patients have to. Um, so, all right, let's look at this from a sports X's and O's kind of perspective for a second here. Um, was there a stretch you were most nervous about? Were you confident that you had trained on enough elevation to combat the hills? From an X's and O's standpoint, kind of what was your strategy and what were you hoping for as you, you know, put your head on head on the pillow the night before? So my, so, so can we talk about the weather first? Yes. And a couple weeks leading up? Yes. So I would say about two weeks out, people start looking at the forecast and freaking out about it. And I have, I, I didn't want to be one of those people, but I kind of went down that rabbit hole and... Last year, and I think I mentioned this the first time, the weather was terrible. Right. It was cold. It was super rainy. And the entire time, I think everyone running the marathon said there's no way it could be as bad as the year before. Well, they started predicting that the weather was going to be as bad as the year before. So everyone, you know, my whole team starts thinking, well, what are you going to wear? What are we going to do? Blah, 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 blah. And... Then the temperature, as you watch the forecast, it started creeping up. And then they're predicting thunderstorms. So then you say, oh, my gosh, what happens if I'm out in the middle of nowhere and it starts lightning? What do you do? So the forecast that entire week was so up in the air. And that really got in my head. It really got in my head. Um until about the day before when the forecast started to improve. 
So the day of, and I I was going into it with the strategy. My friends and family were going to be at mile 17. So I was kind of in the mindset, get yourself to mile 17, see your friends and family, and then you're going to be able to muscle through. There's less than 10 miles to go after that. You can muscle through those 10 miles. 10 miles feels short now. Well, what ended up happening is, Boston is unlike some other marathons where you don't loop around the city, you don't kind of weave in and out. You start 26.2 miles away from the finish line. So you take a bus out, you're in the bus for about an hour, and then you get dropped off at the start line, and then you run back into the city. So I boarded the bus at about, my alarm went off at 5.20 in the morning. Um, I was meeting my teammates at 6.30, boarded the bus in pouring rain and thundering and lightning. So that was a little scary. That's a nice start, yeah, for your first era marathon. Welcome to, uh, welcome to running. Oh, yeah. So then you sit on this bus ride for an hour in your wet clothes, which they told us to bring sneakers, carry your running sneakers, Bring shoes that you're going to throw away and bring wear clothes over your running clothes that you're going to throw away. But you're sitting in these soaking wet clothes and wet shoes for about an hour out to the start line. So then get to the start line and it's chilly and overcast and still rainy. So then the Dana-Farber team is very lucky because most of the other runners... They're just waiting outside in the elements in this kind of town green area with that they call Athletes Village. Dana Farber is lucky because they get to wait inside of a church. So you walk to the church. It's mayhem in there. There's about 500 people in the church kind of auditorium, and people are, like, taking off wet clothes, and people are trying to eat bagels and bananas and hydrate, and everyone's freaking out. And you take a team picture, and then they pretty much say, okay, like, I'm ready to go. So we left the church and walked to the start line, which is probably almost a mile to the after. And it's still chilly and rainy. Or it's still chilly and overcast. So I'm, I'm standing out there waiting to start, and I'm kind of cold, but I say, this is going to be totally fine. Well, get about three or four miles in, all of a sudden, the sun comes out, it gets really hot. It probably got up to about 70 degrees and very humid. And had I known that mile 10 was going to be 70 and blazing sun and humid, I think I would have started the race very differently just in terms of I would have started, I would have drank at every single mile instead of skipping a couple of the water stops. So anyways, so I told myself I was going to get to mile 17, be able to see my face, and then be able to muscle through the rest. And I think that I underestimated how much, what what toll that heat was going to take on me. Because those last 10 miles were so hard. You hit the hills maybe between miles 18 and 20. And, Jeremy, I had run on those hills multiple times. We practiced on them. I knew what I was getting into. Um, And those hills just took so much out of me. 
It's interesting because yeah, I was tracking yeah, you, yeah. and um, your splits were incredibly consistent yeah. until the hills, and I think that was the changeable weather getting to you. I mean, they the hills were so hard, and the funny thing about running a marathon is people start telling you you're almost there at like mile ten, <laughs> and because I'm familiar with the area. I was like, I know I am not almost there. I know I am not almost there. I have a long way to go. But the hills were really hard. I think people, I think I was just, you know, I think I was dehydrated. And I think that the heat got to me because you train through the winter and then all of a sudden you're running and it's 70 degrees and sunny. But I made it up the hills. Um, and then probably when I was done with the hills, it started getting cloudy again, and it started to rain, and that felt amazing. So you get up the hills, and you probably have maybe four, five miles to go. So I just kept saying, okay, muscle through. And I also was telling myself, the fastest way to get back to Boston is run. <laughs> it will be over sooner if you keep running. And then I had um, more friends, and I had my coworkers. They were kind of within the within five miles from the finish line, so I got to see more people. They had water for me, um, and then you know I kind of just kept going, and I I made it somehow. Four hours, thirty one minutes, four seconds, and a and a pace of ten twenty one which is, for a first-time marathoner and considering everything you went through, a really good pace. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I did, um, I have to say, I did cry a couple times, but tears of, like, just, I was overcome with emotion for so much of it. You know what I yeah. mean? People have supported me so much throughout, and it was really, it was really emotional, but it was, it's like nothing I've ever done before. Um, one thing we talked about until the last time you were on is that you guys weren't talking about times or goals, um, sorry, excuse me, times or goals or anything like that. It was about training, encouraging, having a positive environment, having your teammates, etc. Um, but in your head, was there a goal you were trying to reach? Was there a, a, a time goal or was it get me to the finish line? My ultimate goal was to get myself to the finish line. My second goal was to do it in under five hours, only because I'd never done anything like this before. I didn't know what it was going to be like. Now that I got a 431, I'm kind of like, oh, man, I wish I had hooked it a little faster to get under 430. But it's fine. I did it. I don't think I could. I really don't think that I could have been any better prepared or done any better than I did given... It was every single kind of weather that New England could give you give you on an April day. We're talking to my friend Catherine, who ran the Boston Marathon. The mutual friend Catherine and I have is our friend here on Teeing It Up, Danny Flecka. Danny, Patriots Day is a holiday in Boston. You were off of work. You said, let me go watch my friend. What was that experience like for you? It's a great experience. It's a day up here that now has like a lot of different meaning to a lot of different people for you know one main reason. And you know, with all that's going on in the city on that day, you got the Red Sox playing at eleven. You got the marathon starting at ten. Uh, a lot of people are off from work. It's a, it's a great day to be you know a Bostonian. You have a lot of different things you can do if the weather holds up and is nice. 
Um, you know, the finish line is on one of the, the main roads in Boston that, you know, allows, the, you know, the bars to open up the doors. They have, you know, if they have, like, a patio, you sit on the patio and enjoy yourself. So from, like, a day perspective, I like, guess probably one of the best days of the year up here. As long as the, the weather cooperates, there's just so much you can do. And then when the Red Sox game is over, all the fans, like, trickle down to Boylston Street and, and watch the end of the marathon when people are coming across the line. So it's just a, it's a great day for the city, and it's, it embodies a lot of what makes Boston a great sports town. Does this make you want to watch a marathon after standing at that finish line? I mean, I'll say this. After the marathon, I felt like I had run it. <laughs> I, the emo- amount of emotional uh, exhaustion I felt just in general was, was a lot. Being a cheerleader was something I've never done before. For me to be one... Uh, for the first time, really, what was an interesting experience. You know, having someone close to you that has been preparing for four months and has had ups and downs and doubts and, uh, you know, just being positive and um, rah-rah and just hoping that the day that they have to finally run it is perfect. You know, you, you just it's a lot of emotion that goes into it. Even though you're not the one running it, you want it to be as good of a day as it can be for everyone that's running it, including the people you know, because of all the time and effort they put into it. It's, it's amazing to watch all these people that come from all different walks of life take the opportunity to do something and, and raise money or uh, support causes that are, are dear to them. So it's, uh, it's an emotional day for sure. I am not ESPN's Tom Rinaldi, Catherine. Um who is probably the most emotional interviewer at ESPN. I don't have a piano, which is the running joke with him, that all his interviews involve pianos for for sappy or sad music. Um, But I have to ask you about the Instagram picture and the hug. I can't imagine Uh, what was going through you. Yeah, so I have to say that I think that my mom was much more, I think it was a bigger deal because she had never watched the marathon. Um, I think she was much more moved by the entire thing than she was planning on being, and I think it was a far bigger... a, a far bigger kind of community than she expected. From the pasta dinner to... Um, my family was waiting at a specific Dana-Farber cheering section, Um and just to kind of see that community, and it was really emotional. And I have to tell you, so I, Dana Farber gives us this singlet to wear, and people put their names on it um, so that people can cheer for you specifically, you know, strangers. But also, if they can't read your name, so many people along the course will see that you're running for Dana Farber and yell at you, thank you, Dana Farber, like, thank you for doing this. It's really, really, really special. And being able to give my mom a hug along the course was great. And then I probably got to mile 24 and a half, maybe just, maybe 25. And there was this woman, this stranger, who, you know, people have signs all over the course and things like that. And she had a sign that said, your mom is proud of you. And she was, like, pointing at me. I had no idea who this woman is. And I felt like she looked into my soul. And I just started crying. And then I said, okay, Catherine, get to the finish line. Get to the finish line. Um, And then being able to see my mom after, you know, she she was so proud. And it was just, 
I cried, of course. We all cried. Um, it was just really, really special. And she's still talking about it. She said that she's showing everyone the videos and the pictures. She just, it was just really special. And I feel really lucky that she was there to, to be there with me. Um, we are talking to my friend Catherine, who completed the Boston Marathon. Congratulations, uh, Catherine. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing, amazing accomplishment. Um, did you see the end of the men's race? Have you seen that video yet? I haven't. You know what I mean? I had no concept of the time of day or when other people were finished. And to think that people are finishing like over two hours ahead of you is crazy. Um, but I, but it, it was a crazy, it was a crazy finish is what I heard. Yes, you have to see this video. I've never in Olympic marathons, regular marathons, New York City marathons, seen anything come right down to the finish line like that. So you have to find that. All right, let's have some fun here. Number one, okay. what was the most sore part of your body after this, and how do you feel now? So I would say I am recovering slowly but surely. I did take Tuesday off That's good. Um, from work, and my legs are starting to feel better, but my toes are still killing me, and I was not prepared for that because my toes had never hurt after a run before, and my toes, for some reason, are, they're in rough shape. They're in rough shape. I've been trying to ice them. I've been trying to just coat my toes in ice packs. <laughs> um, what was the funniest thing you saw on the course? Because people wear all kinds of weird outfits, and they, things happen, and... and uh, you know, people, you come across wacky strangers while you ride because obviously you get separated from the people you start with. What was the funniest thing you saw out there? So, there's a couple of things. So, there was a Santa Claus who was just out there <laughs> okay. with some elves. He was just kind of standing out there in a Santa suit. There were, at one point, there was just a band playing under a tent, which was nice. Um, and then... At my, I don't even know what all the miles, what all the miles are, but by Wellesley College, which is just, which is just about the halfway point, um, all, I would say the, the funniest things were running through the college area. So you run by Wellesley College and all of the girls stand out there and scream at you. It's called the Scream Tunnel and you could hear it about a mile before you get there, all the people screaming and all the guys go over and they kiss them and stuff. And then running, you also, about five miles out, run by Boston College. And um, some of the college kids out there were saying some pretty fun things, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, do you want to do this again? So, while I was running, I, said, I was saying to myself, this is awesome, and I can't wait to never do this again. And that's already started to fade. Mm. It's already started to fade because it's a pretty unbelievable thing. You know, what, what, what's fascinating about that is that some people run these things and they, and they despise it. And they're like, oh my God, I hate having to run. I can't wait to sleep in. Um, I, I did it. I'm done. And for some people, they get addicted like it's a drug. So... <laughs> Is part of you missing running? I mean, even just running up and down the block? So, I would say I'm still too sore to miss running, but I definitely miss my teammates. 
and I have kind of been looking around being, you know, and just saying, what am I supposed to do with myself right now? So I'm giving myself the rest of the week off, and then I think I'm going to uh, get back into it. Hopefully my toes are feeling better. I'm signed up for a five-miler race in May, and we'll kind of just go from there, you know? We'll see. Never say never. Oh, I forgot to ask you, Danny. What was the funniest thing you saw spectating? Because I, I, I can't imagine what it's like walking along the bars. So I didn't see anything at the bars, but, like, running, I saw a guy in a full, like, Spider-Man uh, costume, like, covered, like, the onesie that covered his head. Felt kind of bad for him running in that, in that heat, but he was, he was trucking along. Um, we're, we're talking with Catherine, uh, my good friend who successfully completed the Boston Marathon on Monday. All right. Everybody out there wants to know um, this question. I've had millions upon millions of people tweet me asking you, asking me to ask you this. Um, okay, I slightly exaggerated, but everybody wants to know the best running song you either played during the race or during training. What became your anthem? All right. Well, I have to tell you, I didn't run at all with music. Never. So when I ran some of the shorter runs by myself, I did, but I didn't do any of the longer runs with music. I just chatted with people. Um, and the day of the marathon, I didn't, I didn't use music. And you would actually be surprised. A, I, a lot of people don't use music. Even um, the BAA, that, the organization that puts on the marathon, they even say headphones are allowed, but we prefer you don't use them. I think it's just because there are so many people and they kind of want you to be aware of your surroundings. Yeah. Um, so I, I ran the whole 26.2 miles, no music. Wow. I would have to think, I mean, I'm somebody who suffers from anxiety and OCD. I would think negative thoughts would go through my head, but I would assume after all those training runs, you've learned how to train your mind to keep thinking positive things as you go. Yep, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I, I just am so excited for you and so happy for you. And um, I don't cry. I'm not one of those who like tears up. Um, you know, just seeing like a, a, you know, happy tears kind of thing. I'm, I'm, I'm not that kind of a person. But when I saw your Instagram post, that got me emotional just because I know how much those hugs mean uh, to people. So um, one last time, because I, I keep getting emails from them that the campaign is still going. So shout it out, the call to action. If people want to support you, your cause, and, and, the, and the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, what can they do? So you can go on rundfmc.org and you can search for me, Catherine Magnoli, and my fundraising page will still be up. Um, go do that, people. Good luck. Congratulations to you. Congratulations to your family. Congratulations to your mom, who's a, who's a warrior and a champion herself. And let's not forget that. Um, and just uh, a job well done. And uh, I'm, I, I was, as as Danny can tell you, I was tracking you. I was tracking you and the NASCAR driver, Jimmy Johnson. So you were in very, very illustrious company. Oh, yes. And I saw an interview that Jimmy Johnson did after, and he said it was the hardest thing he's ever done. And that's somebody who does triathlons, Catherine. That's what he does no, in his spare time. No. Um, is, is there anything else you want to say? He ran a 308. He killed it. Yes. 
which is crazy. He ran a race Saturday night, flew to Boston, and ran a 308. I mean, one thing that I've been thinking about is marathon running, especially in kind of an elite one like like Boston or any of the majors, it's probably the only time that a regular person like me can be competing with elite athletes. Not that I'm competing with them, but... Competing at the same event with Elite Athletes, which is pretty cool. Yeah, no, Teddy Bruschi ran it, um, and and that's actually a good question. Did did you run into anybody that you recognized? So one of my um, running friends who I ran with finished around the same time as Teddy, and it's in multiple pictures kind of in the background that he posted. Teddy trained a lot of the same days that my team did, and so many people saw him on the runs. I never saw him once. You know, we would pass by him, and then everyone would say, oh, that was Teddy, and I I missed him. I missed him multiple times. Sorry Um, about that. (laughs) Yeah. And I need Teddy's time. It's... Which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's crazy that that he keeps doing this. I mean, that's what his third time, I think. I think so. And he, I've also because I've been reading a lot about it. He said that he treasures his marathon medals as much as he treasures his Super Bowl ring. So, me and a uh, professional athletes are one and the same. That's actually a very good question. Where is your medal? Where are you putting this? So I I still have my medal in my bag because. It's so cute. My boss has been wanting to bring it, wanting me to bring it to work so he can show people. And I'm actually heading home for Easter, so I'm bringing it so I can show um, the rest of my extended family. So it's pretty cool. I got my name engraved on it, my time, and then I'll have to figure out what I do with it. I don't know if you realize this, but you actually beat Teddy's time by four minutes. I mean... What can I say? I guess I'm just a high-performance athlete. He, he, he did a 435-35. You did a 431-2, did I say it was? 431-04. Yeah. So you beat Teddy. Look at that. Mm-hmm. And your pace yeah. is 10 seconds faster. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to say or tell to the people out there? No, just thank you so much for having me on and letting me talk about it. It's a really great thing, and I would still encourage any listeners, um, anyone can do a marathon. You just need to put the time into training, and it really is an incredible experience. Danny, you know me. Can I do a marathon? I don't want to be be blunt, but no. I completely well, agree. in this conversation who's done a marathon, so the, the expert, um, I would say yes, you can. Okay. Well, thank you for having faith in somebody who uh, is, is remarkably slow. I will send you the video, Catherine, of me running as part of my personal training last year. It, it'll give you a laugh. It's slow motion at regular speed. <laughs> Catherine Magnoli, Danny Flecka, uh, thank you for being on Teeing It Up. I appreciate it. Thank you. And then thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schelling.